Hi, and welcome to another episode of Trans Talks with me, Bramwin Munn. In this episode, I'm talking to Grace, who lives in Missouri, and she's a bass player and gardener, definitely a woman after my own heart. Grace, like me, comes from what I would consider an earlier generation of trans women, and that fact alone informs how she defines herself. She reminded me about the very different cultural climate when she came out and transitioned, and how difficult it could be back then finding the right moment to take those important steps. We also talked about activism and how being very strategic about it can really help you find some balance in your life. So without further ado, here's Grace. Okay, hi. It's so good to see you, Grace. Really <laughs> lovely to see you in person. Yeah, likewise, it's been, I don't know how many, six, eight years or more that we've kind of been following each other on Facebook. And yeah, uh, it's nice to finally make a true connection. Yeah, yeah. And what a moment. What a moment that we can share <laughs> together today. <laughs> a moment in mystery. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of this podcast. Um, I'm hoping that the listeners are going to find all of the stories that I'm exploring interesting, and they will definitely find yours interesting, I know, already, from what I know about I you. will do my best to blow them all away. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to hear. So, um, first of all, uh, could you just tell me a bit about yourself? Like, what do you love doing? Um, tell me whatever you like about yourself that you're comfortable sharing. All right. Um, well, I'll sum myself up in a nutshell. I grew up in New York City. I've lived in Florida. I've lived in Maryland. Um, I've worked in radio. I've worked on a hot air balloon chase crew. I worked for a restaurant. Um, I finally, in my mid-30s, decided I was going to get my high school diploma, and I did. And then I went to college and graduate school, and I finished my degree in oh three in in maryland and then i came to the midwest to st louis to earn a master's degree and i've been here ever since i'm 61 years old i'm legally blind i'm a musician and lately i'm a gardener i grow vegetables i have seen your gardening and it looks very impressive <laughs> i love it um i'm a dog lover i live in a neat neighborhood in the city and i play some music and do some production stuff and amazing what a varied tapestry oh it's all, there's all kinds of stuff going on around here <laughs> <laughs> so as you know or as you may know um this podcast i'm speaking to lots of people with different gender identities could you tell yes. me like how do you identify and what does that kind of mean to you because we've all obviously got very varied understandings of our own identities and each other's so tell me a little about about how you identify well i get it and i hope my new york um spirit doesn't offend anybody but um <laughs> I, I don't really deal with any of that crap <laughs> i don't um, how do i identify myself i just told you so it's funny the, the whole gender and sexuality thing um i just i don't understand I don't understand the thinking today. Yeah. Um, 99.9% .9 of the time I identify as who I am. I'm Grace. That's my name. That's who I am. I'm female. I, what else is there to know? Um, well, somebody might want to know what's your sexuality. Well, I've dated men. I almost married a dude. I've date women. I've had a long-term relationships with a woman. 
Uh, several. <laughs> um, I was married before, so what is my orientation? Whatever, who cares? <laughs> so, you know, like, like all this, this stuff, like, I, I just want to live in the world, and the world seems to work better, and I'm more comfortable being female. Yeah, that's beautiful. Just, is, you know, yeah. I know what I am, but I'm, I live in the world as female. Yeah. It's easier that way. That's great. <laughs> that is so valuable to hear that, actually. That gives me a very strong sense of hope. Some, there's, there's a lot to be said for pioneers. Mm-hmm. The first people to, since we're both musicians, we'll, I hope we'll get to talk about that a bit more later, but yeah, um, like the first person to play electric fretless bass and make it really cool was Jaco Pastorius. Yeah. And there's a couple other great bass players who have this thing that is very unique and everybody wants to be like them. And there are pioneers in the what term should I use? The in in the gender community, there's pioneers. Yeah. And I'm happy to let them do the work. I'm going to learn from those people and I don't need to be somebody who's out waving a flag trying to make change I take that back. I'm interested in making change, but I choose my battles very carefully, and I choose the battles that I know that I'm going to win, which is maybe why I recently, yeah. I, we talk <laughs> politics too, um, always know the answer to a question. If you're going to ask a question, know the answer. I love that. And my perspective as a transsexual woman, not transgender, I'm transsexual, is my role is to educate people that I know will have a positive change. I'm not going to have the arguments. I don't have time for that. <laughs> I, uh, this is, yeah, really interesting. Like, picking up on what you're saying, I felt very similarly. Um, we were talking earlier about this about 10 years ago. Um, and I think lately, because I've been spending time with a lot of young people, um, and a lot of young trans people uh, in the context of like creating theatre work and so on about the various issues that trans people are facing or different varied genders are facing. And I, the more I've fallen into that kind of, I'd call it activism in a way, it's kind of some of mine is quite low-key activism or like um, backseat activism, maybe. Uh, I'm less likely to be found out on the streets waving flags, but I'm very much like, yeah, talking to people and trying to spread the word and, and educate and so on. I do feel like a massive amount of pressure about it and about that I need to know things and that I need to research things. And I need to get my story straight. And it can feel like it is clouding the rest of my life sometimes. Like it's, it's becoming a bigger percentage of my life than I would actually like because your your like um outlook of of like I would just want to live my life you know I'm I'm this is well I am who well, I am Well yeah here's here's the thing so I knew that so I'm 61 years old 61 and a half actually <laughs> <laughs> um very and very soon to celebrate my 20th anniversary since having surgery I just realized that wow um I sp- I was aware that as a child, something was different in my, in my, the way I viewed the world and the way I viewed my vehicle here, my body. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until 1984 or five that there was the bingo, the aha moment 
that I knew what was different about me, but I also knew that I wasn't ready to deal with it. Yeah. It wasn't until 10 years later that I was comfortable enough in my life to deal with it. But all this time, there's all this turmoil. <laughs> yeah. And there's, I was married and all this turmoil. And then I had to burst the bubble, you know, and I told the whole, not the whole world, I told the people that were important to me what's going on. <laughs> and then my life then began to do this. It began to come together. So I spent a lot of my life like this, and now I'm feeling complete, yeah. and I want to focus on this thing that I've created. And if I have the opportunity to positively influence opinions and educate, I'll do it. And I do do it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll talk to... Um, master's level, maybe undergraduate, but usually master's level students here in the U.S. who are in public health or in mental health professions, or even I've spoken at, at, at medical schools, to help them understand that who I am and what I am is somebody who had a very clear dysphoria with my physique. The body that I was born into seemed wrong, period. My identity as male or female probably has never changed. This is an aha moment. Yeah. For me. Yeah. I've never thought of it this way. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so amazing. I, because of my vision, I don't drive. I dig cars. I don't know a damn thing about how they work. <laughs> but one of my, one of my favorite YouTube, two of my, Several of my favorite YouTube channels are about vehicles yeah. of different varieties. So that's most people would say is a very manly thing to do, <laughs> but it don't quite fit that part. I love to garden, which is usually less male-like. Yeah. But here's the thing. I don't give a shit about what anybody says. The behaviors that I have, it's not typical that women play bass. And I've heard people say, well, you play pretty good for a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Make me, make me come after you. Um, oh my god! But it's a, it's so. There's this now. This this thing about transgender and the transgender umbrella seems to have a rainbow of its own. And I'm not in that group. I am a transsexual. I am a person who had a problem, as I said, the dysphoria with my anatomy. I fixed that. I began to live in the in in a role with a name and a and a just doing the things that I like to do as she and everything's fine. So I don't want to spend all my life, you know, beating the drum. Yeah. I'll play music, but I don't want to beat the drum <laughs> of the umbrella. Yeah, I want to live. I just want to enjoy what has come out of the hard work and the pain and the loss and the growth and the recycling. And, yeah. you know, I want to live in that thing now. I don't want to continually fight. For, uh, forgive me, for young people who want the world to see that there are an unlimited number of genders. Maybe that's okay someday that the world will get there. But my point of view is, man, it's so much easier to live my life as she and pick the battles that I can win, answer only the questions I know the answers to. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And with that, I can live the life that allows me to feel comfortable without thinking about gender. Yeah. 
I don't want to spend all my life thinking about gender. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, so you, I was talking. The person I was talking to last night spoke about the moment when you press the button. It's like that's when you realised, or or the moment of cracking the egg was another <laughs> descriptive, which is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Now that I would consider that moment as like the beginning of when you start telling people and you transition and blah, blah, blah. But you said um, in the mid-80s you figured it out, but you didn't act on it. Was Am I right in remembering that? That's correct. So, that's, so in the mid-80s, did you know any other people who, well, not necessarily personally, but did you know of any other people being transsexual? Absolutely not. I didn't even know, I don't even know that I knew the word. No. Um, here's, here's what happened. I was, I was engaged to this wonderful girl and, um, I ended up moving, you know, a thousand mile move, hoping that I would be able to set, at any rate, that whole thing fell apart. And we met up, um, in New York again, just to exchange. She gave me back the ring, which, you know, I don't know, whatever. Um, at any rate, we said our goodbyes, and I went in the house, and I was staying at a friend's house because at that time, as I said, I was living a thousand miles away. And I opened up a Time magazine. And in the early pages of the Time magazine, there are typically book reviews. And I don't know the title of the book. I don't know who the author was. I don't know anything about that. But it was a biography of someone who was a transsexual. And at that moment, wow. That's what this is. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> and and then realizing that emotionally I was not in a place to deal with it. Yeah. And financially I didn't have a damn I didn't have much anything. I was living on a suit shoestring. Yeah. Because I was in Florida. I was probably wearing sandals. <laughs> so I I just tried to put it aside and not deal with it overtly it was all covertly managed sometimes not so well yeah um but i i didn't act on it but it was clearly there yeah for 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 how long um so i got married in 1988 and a couple years later i read this article and it was trans issues of course as i was doing online research around 1990 and um, I don't know if it was uh, Dr. Ann Vitali's website. Not sure if she's still practicing or still alive, or um, Ann Lawrence, who had written or published an article on their website. And the term "saved by love" is one that I came away with, and I, it's never left me. And it's like people who are in their twenties, thirties, forties, whatever the age, and they don't want to deal with something like this. Yeah, like a transition and changing your whole life and your whole world, and instead, what you do is you accept the love of another human being, and because it it floods you enough that you kind of get distracted from what your what your own issues are, because okay. the other issue was so huge. Yeah, and that's what happened to me. And it wasn't until seven years into that marriage that I was confident enough in myself to say the words and probably desperate enough, you know, either I do something or I die somehow. Yeah. And um, out the cat came out of the bag and 
a year and a half later, I was divorced. <laughs> oh my god! No, I mean, I mean, she and I both tried. She tried to bring the marriage back the way it was, and I tried to hide my own desires. And <laughs> I think she lost patience before I did, which is fine. Yeah. She's remarried again and very, very happy. And um, but it was, you know, that was when the cat first came out of the bag. Yeah. 1995 that anybody heard me say anything about gender wow that's a long time for the cat to live in the bag (laughs) (laughs) that kitty was pissed (laughs) that was one angry kitty man it's so interesting to hear you talking about like that time i mean i i was 10 years later than you maybe um 2006 and still, I was really unfamiliar with it. It was only through some random YouTube, you know, it was the early days of YouTube, um, but some random rabbit holes that led me to Calponia Adams and Andrea James, who were two, like, living in San Francisco, I think, and they were, like... I know their story. The first pair of YouTubing trans trans women, transsexuals they were identified as at the time. And I, I remember, like, immediately being fascinated and I couldn't understand why I was so fascinated and then I began to realize in a very short amount of time you know a month or so that I was like okay had a few conversations with some close friends and I'm like no wonder I'm so obsessed with these two these two women because uh, that's me you know and comparing like our stories, yours even more so, because there was no YouTube um then <laughs> YouTube, the fount of all knowledge. Um there is a whole thing today about awareness, like how there are so many young trans people, like in finding themselves and exploring their gender and everything, because they've got so many reference points and so many communities. And it's very easy to, to like join a community online and talk to people who maybe feel like that. Um, but I feel like the stories of somebody like you and to a lesser extent me are like, really validating because we kind of found that way just with such limited information available to us and it's like it had to happen you know it was going to happen whatever um but just the little clues that we had compared to like the sea of information today is incredible i i was i was doing internet research in 1990 and there was there was good information because the only ones who were publishing it were and I'm not saying that people without degrees aren't worth hearing. Yeah, I, please mean. don't, I know. <laughs> but the first voices on the scene were people that I was aware of who were educated, some, you know, ridiculously so. And, you know, if you don't have street smarts, education ain't worth a hill of beans. But <laughs> for these, these, you know, the pioneers that I was watching, and I was aware of Calpurnia Adams and Andrea James. And, oh, I have a connection for you. So my my... There's a little bit of debate, but I'm. This may be true. So, does the name Renee Richards do anything for you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Renee Richards wrote a book called Second Serve, and she was she was an American ophthalmologist, yeah, an eye doctor who became a world class tennis champion. Oh, and her name used to be Richard Rafkin. So there was a whole big hubbub about her in the mid '60s, I think it was. Yeah, I don't. I'd, I'd have to revisit it. Well, anyway, I was born with the visual issue that I have, and in fact, it was Richard Rafkin 
who referred me to the ophthalmologist that I dealt, I, I saw all through my childhood into my teenage years. <laughs> wow. So we, we, we met in the middle there. We clashed when I was, you know, too young to even know who Renee Richards was because, well, Renee Richards wasn't born yet, so to speak. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I definitely come from like an old school point of view of this. And yeah. like I said earlier, I, I applaud anybody who wants to go out there and, you know, fight for the right to be acknowledged in a very variant definition of gender and sexuality. But to me, to live my life comfortably, I I have so many other things that I do, and some of them I do pretty well, and I want to do those things. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to exist within my neighborhood here. You know, I live in the city, and I own my own home, and I live in a neighborhood, and I don't want to draw so much attention to myself yeah. because what I want with the intention of changing people's minds, I just want to, I just want to live. I wish, I wish other people would find ways to just f- find, ah, I wish more people could just find peace hmm. within themselves Yeah, because we're all in so much of a hurry and everybody's opinion is so freaking important. Sometimes we have to accept that it's not. It's and it's okay. <laughs> Do you feel because a lot of this, what we're talking about, I think, has happened recently. Like it feels to me, like yeah, looking maybe back, the last four or five years. Yeah, and and the main change that's happened in our world is probably about online, life online, you know, and having yeah TikTok or Facebook or whatever. That there is this. There's almost too much information or here, here. something about that kind of in- information age. You, you saying that you want to live in your community, you know, your immediate community, your neighborhood, the people around you. Yeah, I feel maybe there's, well, obviously there's a huge value in, in that approach to life. It's, it's how we've lived as human beings until the last four years, four or five years, really. See, I appreciate this podcast. It's easy for, you know, you and I, two fairly educated human beings who have access to technology, and I mean things like the microphones and the nice computers and the, (laughs) you know, to put together a program to get out there to share information. But there's, I'm going to use education as kind of a crutch again, but we've both been educated. We've both lived these lives and we both have some degree of of creature comfort, you know, Maslow's hierarchy. <laughs> you know, we're actually to the point now where we can think of our, our lives of the as the aesthetics of our lives. Yeah. Again, it's like the Maslow thing, and you get to the the place where it's so easy, your life is so comfortable that now you can work about the aesthetics and art. Well, we're creating a podcast which is hopefully going to do nothing but disseminate valuable information to somebody. I'm not telling anybody that their view of gender is wrong. Hmm. I'm telling you that for me, it's a very, very simple thing. There is the easiest way for me to live in the world is there's male and there's female. And nobody else on the street needs to know what's between my legs. Yeah, 100% that. <laughs> nobody needs to know what my sexual orientation is. It doesn't. They can assume that I'm heterosexual because I spend time with a lot of men. A lot of men are musicians, but I also am very fond of a couple men, all who are my friends. 
we love each other dearly, and not even all of them know. Few of them, actually, few of them know. <laughs> Think there's only there's one guy that I spend time with who knows. The rest of them don't know, and they don't. They love me for me, whether they know or not. It's not a. It's we don't need to spend all day talking about it. Unless we're going to get I, naked, <laughs> what does it matter what's between your legs or mine? It yeah. doesn't matter. That is, that I, is another a huge, another huge difference from when I transitioned fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of talk about stealth and, you know, it was assumed that as a trans woman or however you, whatever label we want to use, Mm -hmm. that you would use, I used to not like the term stealth because it felt like you were doing something sneaky, which, you know, we're not, we're just, the the term stealth meaning. um, Doing what I'm doing. We don't want, yeah, living. Living as, living within the binary. But not necessarily talking about it or explaining to everybody you meet that you are transsexual so whereas now there seems to be a lot more people most younger people seem to be quite open i don't know i'm probably generalizing horribly. no well well something that you said is very very important because you acknowledge that i'm the oldest person you're interviewing most of the people that you're interviewing are younger than i younger than you yeah and the ones who are of the non-binary are the ones that are younger yeah it seems well, to be um, not necessarily, not necessarily. Okay. Even, well, even I would say though, demographic. yeah, I would say though that there are more people who are in their twenties. Yeah, I should say mid-teens to thirty who are more interested in the the the, the rainbow of gender itself. Yeah. Than there than there are people that are older than that. Yeah. And it's fine. Whatever works, man. I, That's true. And and in here the thing is, stealth. I think is probably a term that. Like everything else, it has to have a label. You have to call it something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't choose to live stealthily. I just choose to live. And when I talk trans issues, I want there to be value to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I spend a lot of time on stage. And I want people to think of me as a very talented musician. Mm-hmm. And if they happen to think of me as female, too, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But... There's there's too many things to do than spend your whole life fighting trying to or maybe there isn't there's I, I take that back. There's Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, you name it, you know, there's people who have done amazing things in the world. Militaries who do things to quote unquote protect ourselves, protect us and live us allow us, you know, as American boy, that's what we hear all the time. <laughs> and so that we can live our lives the way we want to. And I've been to China five times. I know what it's like to live free in this country. And there are people who can do that work. I can't do that work. What I can do is educate professionals who may work directly with um, students, um, public health and public policy, who are therapists, social workers, medical doctors, when I have the opportunity, I will speak to them the way I'm talking to you about gender. And we'll, if you want, we talk sexuality too. But other than that, I'm living stealth. I'll accept that because I want to be able to do the things I want to do. Play music, work on my garden, grow pounds and pounds of vegetables every week, um, You know, go to work, do the things I love to do. That's what I want to spend. I want to spend my time living and loving the people that are in my well, life. That is a beautiful balance. You know, to in in with that perspective, like when you do, it's like 
those kind of moments, those micro moments when you're speaking with the people that you need to speak to, it's like quality work, you know, like really good time spent on those Yeah, the people that are there typically are there because, well, often it's a classroom, so they're, you know, they're told to be there. But I, (laughs) one of the last times that I did a, a talk um, so a little bit about myself. I'm slender. I'm five nine, nine five eight, whatever. Um, I usually wear jeans. Um, I love to perform barefoot. So here I am on one of these large conference type lecture halls at the university, and I walk in and I kick off my sandals and say, "Hey, everybody, how you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and and the show begins, you know, and and I. I want I want there to be value not just for them but for me. Yeah. I I'm I'm a bit of a performer. Surprise surprise. <laughs> I I I don't want someone walking out of the room saying, "Oh, she was boring." Or I don't give a damn about trans whatever whatever. I want somebody to say, "Wow, well, she's pretty cool." Yeah. I'm sure they do. And she and 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 thank you. And she happens to be a transsexual. Yeah. But that's not the first thing I want people to know. It's yeah, yeah. You and I have known each other for years, and I've never asked what's between your legs because it's none of my fucking business. <laughs> Correct. It doesn't matter. If you don't mind, can we talk about um, politics a little bit? When we started met, sure. Before we started recording, we briefly skirted over politics. Yeah. Um, there are very different issues between the UK and the US at the moment. Um, there are similar upshots, I think, and that there are some more conservative parts of the political world are pushing back maybe a little bit about maybe I I sometimes wonder and something you were mentioning earlier on, I've wondered if there's like a bit of a catch 22 almost like the more that people explore this stuff and the more people talk about gender and the more people that you know widen the spectrum and so on the more the conservatives push back against it and there's no answer to that really i mean there's no solution but the fact is we both have problems in our two countries uh, of this conservative pushback which is all very well and it's it's nice to be able to like intellectualize it and see maybe why it's happening and blah, blah, blah. Over in America, it feels like there's a bit more of a religious aspect to it. I'm not sure because I don't live there. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe you can clarify some of that a little bit. But what what do we do about it? You know, there in Missouri, I've seen news in the last week about Missouri, about uh, uh, some bill, uh, or not a bill, I'm not sure what it is, um, about gender-affirming care for not just young people, but for adults as well. I'm not sure if that's going to affect you in some way. So let me, let me, let me say this, that I grew up in New York City, which is a fairly liberal part of the world. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm more of a liberal human being, although I've worked for a small corporation for the last 17 years. So on some issues, I'm not on the right side of the aisle. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, if there was a 180-degree scale... I'm probably somewhere coming up around maybe 45 degrees, but still definitely, you know, solidly on the, on the left side of the aisle. Um, I ended up in a, in a, in the middle of the country. You can't get much more middle than this, than about 250 miles west of me. And you're dead set in the middle of the country, which is known to be a bit on the conservative side. However, I do live in a, um, very less conservative, more liberal, leaning city. So for me, 
that's a, there's a little bit of comfort there. Um, by the way, I was just a write-in candidate for a local political office, and I don't know how many votes <gasps> I got, but I didn't win. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. Congrats. Yeah, what the hell? you got to do something for fun. Um, but, okay, at the state level here, there is some pretty scary mojo going on right now. Um, University of Washington um, Medical School has a gender clinic, and somehow there's been some talk about somebody doing something untoward, like prescribing they shouldn't, or something okay. of that nature. Yeah. And I don't know if that's ever been found to be true. All I know is that it got unwanted attention. And what you're saying about, I wonder if all of this hubbub about, you know, the, the transgendered community being so vocal nowadays has, you know, you push, people are going to push back. That's, yeah. that's what human beings do. And that's maybe another reason why I don't spend my life telling people I'm trans, because if you push, you, I, I want embrace. I don't want yeah. to be pushed. So the most recent thing is that I guess the end of the month of April, there will be no ability for anyone to receive gender-affirming care, which means hormone therapy and or surgeries. And it's for youth and adults. Well, I had surgery 20 years ago, and I haven't used hormones in 15 years. So I see a general practitioner like anybody would. I don't need that care. There's two things that I have a problem with. One is the organization has changed their names. It used to be known as the Harry Benjamin International Gender Dysphoria Association. What they wrote many, many decades ago was a standards of care for the treatment of folks with gender dysphoria. Yeah. And it included requirements of living in the role for X amount of time, going through therapy, having all medical clearance and everything and psychological clearances before anybody could receive hormone treatment, and also had requirements before anybody could have any gender reassigning surgeries, whether it be a breast augmentation, a hysterectomy for this purpose, a, 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 a orchiectomy, anything related or in a true vaginal, vaginoplasty, labiaplasty, those could not be done unless you met the standards of care. I remember the Harry Benjamin standards. We have them over here. They were the It's an line. international organization, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, they have a newer name. It's been reformulated, and the standard, I'm sure, has been rewritten many times since I last read it, because I used to talk about it in lectures. Um, well, here's the thing. Here's the state now saying that making never any reference nor have I heard anyone in the medical community making any reference to any standards of care that have been accepted for decades and are accepted internationally. All it is is this knee-jerk reaction from politicians. Hmm. Yeah. And politicians are horrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I ran for office, because I'm not a politician. I'm, I'm the average person who's, who's yeah. clawed and made a good living and am even going through some life changes professionally, I'm still okay, you know? Um, but politicians, politicians usually have very strong block of voters who have won money or have a very strong religious component or just they're the mouthpieces. It's the, it's the pushback like you're suggesting, and I don't know if that's true, but what I like what you're suggesting is probably the reason there being so there is so much pushback is because it's been pushed from the other direction. Yeah. 
the squeaky wheel gets the grease. <laughs> I don't ever get greased because I'm just living my life. And that's my, again, that's my choice. Nobody's, and anyone on the other, other side of the spectrum is wrong because of the way you're doing it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what we do about this. I mean, we're not going to solve it. <laughs> well, we might do, but nobody would <laughs> listen to us if we did. But it is. Oh well. Well, uh, here's the call. If y'all want Bramwin and I to fix this, <laughs> yeah, vote us in. We'll do it. Twenty twenty five. We'll be ready. Yeah. <laughs> or just to be the, the the world's voice of reason on. So here's. But here's. I I I don't mean to be flippant about it. Yeah. But here's the thing for me. I said earlier, you know, I had this little aha moment earlier on in our conversation. Mm. And what I was making reference to is my perspective on transsexuality, which is how I identify if I need to identify. I am a yeah. transsexual, which means I had a very significant clinical impairment in my thinking, in my behavior, in my life, and that was because of the the dysphoric feeling I had for my body. That's a key component of being having a gender dysphoria is a required component to being a transsexual. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but for me, that's what it means. Yeah, and the way to re- rectify that is to have gone have gone undergone hormone treatment and surgical interventions, which I've done. And it's helped me dramatically because I don't have body dysmorphia any longer. My gender is is female, and the only time it ever comes up like it should for anybody is if you're thinking about taking your clothes off with someone. <laughs> Other than that, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That, that very sentence or several sentences sums up be concisely <laughs> yeah good luck i think it was one sentence one one long sentence but it perfectly summed up well it was just i think it was a very concise way of defining what i think a lot of politicians we've been talking about politicians have very much lost sight of but this isn't you know what's going on with a lot of young people who are transitioning or starting to transition to wherever they identify on our gender spectrum. The bottom line is what you're saying, that there is something disconnected or dysphoric is the term that we use um, to describe that. And the way of solving it is medical care, you know, in whatever form that may take. And yeah, and for me, I want to be clear. For me, it required surgical intervention. It was yeah. an absolute yeah, yeah. necessity. I could not. I I once thought of committing suicide, and at the, and I didn't because I knew. This is kind of twisted, but it's true. Um, I knew that it would be horrible because at that time my spouse was on the volunteer fire department Ooh. and was an ambulance technician, or I don't know if she was a paramedic at the time, but all of her friends would have found me, yeah. you know, and I thought, oh my God. <laughs> so at that fleeting moment, like in the, in the, the depths of 
oh my God, I just told somebody that loves me and that I love very much that I'm not who she thought I was and everything is just unraveled in months and months of turmoil and what am I going to do? My God, I got to change everything in my life. Everything gets turned upside down. Everything got turned upside down. And and I'm I mean, I'm glad I didn't do that and I've never had that thought since. But I... I <laughs> I'm okay with, I personally, I really am. I am totally okay with anybody who just wants to be somewhere in the middle and wants to use different pronouns. That's okay if that's what, but to expect that everybody is going to jump on board and do that automatically, it's not going to happen. It's going to take decades. And, and I want to live my life and I just want to enjoy peace and love and be close to the people that I can be close to. And, and, you know, if somebody else wants to fight the war, honey, go for it. If you want me to talk to the general, <laughs> I'll do that. Yeah. But I'm not going to stand in the street waving a placard. I mean, I don't I don't even go to pride events and I hate the pride parades because they're so damn flamboyant. <laughs> um okay, the 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 <laughs> this is going to be an interesting one. Um because the last kind of question that I've been approaching people or I have on my list of things to approach people about Mm -hmm. is about a term which I've heard quite recently, which is um, trans joy, which I personally very much relate to because I feel that my life has been full of a lot more joy since I figured this stuff out about myself in the last 15, 17 years or whatever it is. Um, And it's hard to define. um, but is there some aspect of your life? I mean, you've kind of already answered this, I think, in in your description of how you live. But like, are there things about you that give you joy that feels like you would not have found if you weren't transsexual? That's, I'm not explaining that very well. No, I, I think you're doing a good job of it. Um, I have two points of view on that one. So. What are the things about my life that make it unique? And because of those unique aspects of my life, it has drawn me in special directions or exposed me to certain situations or what have you. So, sure, because I am a transsexual and my anatomy is what it is and I've dated who I've dated, I've had some wonderful relationships with a wide variety of human beings. Um. I almost married a very conservative man who's about seven or eight years older than I am. Um, This is shortly after I came here, which is 20 years ago. I dated an African-American woman who was, had a PhD in counseling. No, and, and she had some scholarly religious aspect to her life. And it was also a sergeant at a police department. And she's now married to a federal judge. And I've dated the bipolar, beautiful, beautiful bipolar woman. I've dated the alcoholic woman. I've dated, I've had really friendships that are so close with men. And all of this is related to my finally being comfortable as myself. Yeah. So I think it's my relationships that are one of the most important things to have come out of this. And I'm closer to some of the old friends than I, than I ever was before. Mm-hmm. Um, it was when I finally dealt with this that I realized I needed to go to college. 
my brother said, oh, you're going to go to college. That means you're going to live full time. And I said, ooh, I guess I am. <laughs> oh, boy. And, it, and it's like I, I just moved 30 miles and suddenly everything was different. But the honest to God, Brandon, the thing that is most powerful that has affected my life the way my life tra- life's trajectory has, and I can't separate the two of them, but it's my vision because it has meant um, – it has very much affected me more so as an adult than as a child, like where I live, where I work, the musical things I'm involved in. Um, I I find my vision is more so an influence in my life than gender, but I don't think about gender anymore. Yeah. I honestly don't. The only time I do is, you know, a year ago I met somebody I really like and, um, we were slowly getting to know each other. And then one day he asked me if I was trans and I said, ah, shit. Yes, I am. And we, to this day are very close friends and he's somebody that I could call on for anything, Mm. but it's not going to be more than that. Yeah. The Chinese use the term very special, special friends. And he is a very special friend. There's no, there's no, um, benefits there. (laughs) No (laughs) benefits, but, but I have, I have many male friends that are like that. Yeah. And I love those relationships. And I, you know, the girlfriends that I have, the two that I'm closest to know of my history, most of my friends do not. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's just, it's the relationships. Yeah. Go back yeah. to the relationships. That's brilliant. Absolutely beautiful. And hmm. that war- warms my heart. grace thank you thank you so much for sharing so much with us so like so many valuable insights and yeah uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and hear more about your your history and your yeah your life thank you Brenwin. i truly appreciate it it's been in you know i've followed the things that you do for many many years and uh always enjoyed you know, getting the having the experience of somebody, and it's funny. I don't think of you as trans. I just think of you as this person that I have a connection with for yeah. obvious reasons. But I don't we think have of so many way. connections, so many right. connections. And, and and you, you know, you're a creative individual like I am, and, and so I've I've we're dr- I think drawn to each other in part for that, and but we're also similarly similarly aged. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope that you know what people take away is that. The truth is that it's okay to have a very succinct view of yourself, but to to expect everybody else to view you the same way, that takes a lot of work because the world is not so good with gradients, yeah. with a rainbow. Their world is very good with black and whites, and I'm not saying to anybody to stop fighting for what you believe in or for who you need to be. But just understand what you're up against. Things change very, very slowly. I wrote an article a couple of years ago when I was in the beginning of my transition, and it's out on the web somewhere. Grace Bach, look it up. Um, it's called Safety Pure and Simple. And sometimes trans people get themselves into really, really dangerous situations because they're not yet ready to handle the reactions of people that aren't to their liking. Sometimes it's safe to, better to stay home and to read a book than to go out and risk your life trying to get 
the world to view you the way you see yourself. Give it time, and the right people, the right people will see who you are. And those are the ones to spend your time on. And be happy. Yeah. What else you got? (laughs) Be happy. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you very, very much. And one day, we will jam together. Let's do it. (laughs) Thanks, Roman. As always, sending a big thank you out to Grace for taking part in this podcast. It was so good to finally connect with her after all these years. Thank you too for listening. And don't forget, if you like the podcast, you can click follow or subscribe to stay connected and be notified every time there's a new episode. Until then, I'll see you next time for another Trans Talks. Trans Talks.